Shut up and sit down. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. We have one of our dearest friends of the podcast, Mike Pina, who covers the Celtics for Bleacher Report, joining us yet again. Mike, it's great to have you on. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. And as always, I am joined by my dear friend, Mike Prada, who I have I've not been able to talk to in the last couple of weeks. We've been in separate places. Uh, he's uptown New York. I'm downtown. Mike Prada, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. It's amazing. I haven't even sent you a text message in two weeks. Like we like can't even interact ever. Um, so yeah, thanks for bearing with <laughs> us. We uh, didn't have a podcast last week. We had some scheduling conflicts. Uh, we will get that going another time. But until then, you should definitely subscribe uh, on iTunes. Leave us a review. We appreciate all that. Send us all those questions. You can find us there uh, and find us on the website. And we are going to do these regularly. We're not going to skip another week. That is a promise. Yep. Yes. I'm going to bring a microphone to Florida next week. This is actually true. And we're going to do the podcast from a little bit greater distance than like 40 blocks. But um, that soon, is soon. And next year, by the way, everyone, we're going to be in an awesome podcast studio in like three months, minimum, maybe even less than that. Um, so that'll be fun. We'll be doing this together uh, at our new office for Vox Media. little plug there. But let's get into, uh, let's get into what's going on. We have Pino on for a reason here. Um, he was out in California for, for a few years covering the Lakers among other things, um, he then moved back to the East Coast. He is now covering the Celtics. There's some kind of correlation here between success. Uh, I believe one of our <clears throat> one of our other friends uh, of the pod uh, was at Harrison. Guys, I pointed this out as a trend um, that has been going across the league here. That uh, does Fina, uh, Pina feel like the the curse his presence puts on teams is to blame for Boston's slow start, but more importantly. Uh, the Lakers' success, which has been going on. What teams, and I'll, I'll start with Pina, because we actually haven't talked in a couple weeks here in general, but Pina hasn't been on since last season. What teams have most impressed you so far? What team in particular? Um, and I'm sure we'll get to talking about the Lakers as a whole here as the team has impressed us. But for you, Pina, who has that been? Uh, there's a few. Um, obviously, I, I did not ex- I expected the Clippers to be a good a good basketball team this year, not a you know historically dominant defense that is just juggernauting the entire league. I like that. Um, That's a great verb. We got to use yeah, that verb more often. <laughs> I'm not sure it's real or not, but you guys can use it anytime you want. <laughs> um, and then you know the the big surprise to me, I would say, is the the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, we mm. talked about them a, a tiny bit before uh, we went and started recording, but I mean, I expected this team to not win (laughs) over 20 games this year. And, um, so far I think they are, I mean, they, they were destroyed last night by the Clippers, uh, but they are four and six so far. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's absolutely remarkable. And they're, you know, they're playing smart basketball. They're shooting a lot of threes. They're playing with pace. They play hard. Um, should and I go I'm watch not, them play? Should I go to a game? They're they're so close, and the tickets are yeah. so cheap. And I, I, I mean, they're kind of they're yeah. I mean, they're not so bad they're to feisty. watch. Yeah, yeah. They're like yeah. I think they're second fewest in the league in mid range shot attempts, something like that. They basically play like this total money ball style. So that means they have these mm. quarters where they're they're hitting everything, and then they have these quarters where they can't make anything. Brooke Lopez sure. now shooting a ton of threes. Yeah, kind that's of a trend now. All these these big guys historically who could who had nice shots, Marcus Alba, Brook Lopez, and they're just saying why not now and taking threes because it makes more sense. Yeah, I mean they're gonna win like twenty five games, but get in on the ground floor. Well, twenty five games probably doesn't sound good to a Celtics fan on, on you know or, or Celtics uh, beat writer here I should say, and fan too, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> we gotta have both sides. Yeah, of there that. was like just a moment, me right? Up. Wasn't there a moment where the Nets had a better draft pick than the Celtics like a week ago? And everyone was like, oh, God, how how could the Celtics have traded their yeah. pick to the Nets? Well, technically, it's a swap, so we would have been okay. Mike. Right. But, <laughs> but, yeah, like imagine like not actually having to trigger that swap. Yeah, that's true. Things that won't happen and we won't have to talk about. So so what other teams? Have, so those two teams. Prada, who has impressed you, man? What, who have you been really about uh, the Clippers. watching a lot? Yo, 
The Clippers have a better point differential than the Warriors had after 11 games last year. Hmm. They have, I believe, the fourth best point differential through 11 games in NBA history, which is amazing. I mean, that is... No, That's I, good. They, uh, they are number one in the league in defense. Their starters are allowing 84 points per 100 possessions, and I think the lowest in mark last year was like 96, something hmm. like that. So they are crushing teams. They have one loss, and that was by two points to Oklahoma City. Uh, otherwise, they beat the Spurs by like 30. They beat the Blazers by like 40. They are crushing teams. And I think this is for real. Like the thing that impresses me, it, it feels like they're defending at a totally different level. And I think they can stay near the top. All this time, we said, yeah, if the Clippers, you know, can score, but can they get stops when they need them most? And right now, they're getting stops when they need it most. And the guy that like is really standing out to me as you watch them is I'm super impressed by the way Blake Griffin is defending. And I mm-hmm. think it just makes it so much easier, the effort he's displaying. They're they're playing him and Luke Sharp, Bob Mute. They're very tall front court. They switch a lot. And that allows DeAndre Jordan to just stay in the paint and dominate the rim. And it's really they're really tough to stop and are tough to, to you know, tough to score on. And Chris Paul's having a great year. You know, I think that this they this might be legitimately the best team in the league. You know, I know the Warriors are working through some stuff and I think they'll be fine, but if I'm the Warriors, like I am, I am getting worried. I know the Clippers; they always find a way to beat them, and I know the Clippers have their postseason failures, and I know the Clippers bench probably won't keep playing this well. But I think they're going to be there in the end. That feels like the Western Conference Finals to me, and I think that would be a real dogfight. I'm with you 100. Yeah. Uh, talking about Blake Griffin and kind of how he was always. I wrote a piece before the season started about how he he's just such an ultimate variable on the defensive end. And if he was ever able to, you know, he's, he's been a pretty good on ball defender, uh, the past few years, but his awareness really, uh, really slacks off. And just, he's, he's so locked in on these switches on the perimeter and he's, he's moving his feet and he's just in the right spot as a help defender. Um, as the third guy, when they, when they cover pick and rolls with DeAndre Jordan, and uh, it's it's really impressive, and I, I I don't know if it'll last throughout the entire season, but so far he looks tremendous. To me, it's like a mindset thing too, right? So I feel like in the past, what their approach was, let's DeAndre Jordan is like our defensive guy, and he's going to cover everything, and he's going to trap, and he's going to get to the rim, and he's going to be these great defensive player of the year, and that's all he cares about, and he's going to cover for those two stars, and I I feel like that maybe didn't necessarily hold Griffin accountable as much as he needed to be. And because it was always like, yeah, well, DeAndre is the guy that's going to handle all that. And now maybe having a year that he had last year with the punching of the assistant trainer, with all the bad stuff that happened with the injuries. Now it's sort of like, he's a free agent. This is their last chance. He's, now, to me, feels like the centerpiece of their defense. He's the one that now makes it easier for everybody else to do what they want to do. And to me, that's sort of a mindset thing. And that just makes life easier for everybody. You know, it's no longer let's find a way for him to kind of fit in and, you know, save us there. It's he's the guy that it's his switchability and it's his effort that makes it so that DeAndre Jordan can just do what he wants to do, and Chris Paul can can do what he wants to do, and everybody else kind of just gets to focus on the one or two things that can do well. He's now sort of the the piece that that makes it work, and that that to me feels like maybe it was motivated by what happened last year. Maybe it was a discussion that Doc Rivers had, and he said, "Look, we're going to play this way. We need you to step up." And maybe it doesn't last, but it, that is to me like a massive change from what we saw you know like you said he always had the ability to do it but i think now he's really actually pulling it off yeah and 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 even on the offensive end uh, i was watching the game against the timberwolves today and blake just looks so i've never seen him look so comfortable with his jumper like he catches the ball and he just it, it goes up and he's releasing it at the top of his jump consistently more or less and he's not overthinking anything and it's it's good to see. And, you know, there was talk about him coming off these injuries about, uh, you know, physical decline. And this was a player who has always relied on athleticism to get the job done. And 
and we're really seeing that he's nowhere near uh, close to declining. I think this is his prime and will be his prime for the next few years. And it's a really good time for him to enter free, free agency. Yeah, it definitely makes you think about uh, certain East Coast teams that are looking for a player um, like him when he does go into that free agency period. Um, there's another team in, in Los Angeles that I've been impressed with, and it, it pains me to say this. And I'm sure certain listeners of ours know how I feel about the Lakers and their draft pick and where I'd like it to situate uh, for the Sixers next year. And, and it'll qualify, it looks like, this year. It's, it's trending in that direction. Uh, having said that, the Lakers have been impressive. And, and um, Pina, I know you were you were close to the team last year and and and, pre- and previously uh you you followed them so what have you seen it would obviously there's the kobe difference the walton difference um but uh, what, what have you uh, really liked about what you've seen with the lakers thus far and it has right, to be I, besides you yes losing. yes and it has to be besides the fact that they were <laughs> able to get get <laughs> rid of we the bad all luck. we all know that your presence is a bigger karmic change than kobe or byron scott we 100%. all know that you don't need to rub it in about equivalent to Byron Scott. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah. Well, okay, so I, I think that, you know, Luke Walton is obviously a better coach than Byron Scott, and he's come <laughs> in and he's done obvious things that, you know, people around the team were kind of pushing for last year. Um, they push the ball after make, after make shots. Um, he's bringing Clarkson off the bench. They're launching more threes. Uh, Walton's given Tarek Black a role instead of bearing him on the bench. Uh, he's putting the ball in D'Angelo Russell's hands, um, and you know th- that's th- th- those things really matter. And you know, obviously, not having Kobe on the floor and not kind of being handcuffed to his his ISO tendencies is has uh, unclogged the offense, if you will, and really facilitated more ball movement. Uh, but I, I just think they've done the obvious. Um, and this is a really talented team, a young team, but it's really talented. And even though I, I will say that I'm a little skeptical about Julius Randle's uh, start, and I, I don't know in the long haul if he can be uh, an impact player just because of his faulty jumper. Um, but overall, yeah, there's a lot to like in Los Angeles right now for the for Lakers fans. Can- can you explain this Nick Young thing? Like, what, what's yeah. going on with this Nick Young thing? And Lou Williams. They're both tremendous so well, far. Lou Williams has been good before, but like, Nick yeah, Young, Lou, yeah, like what, what's Nick going Young's on been with good this? in spurts, too. Really? He has had good spurts, for sure, man. I mean, he had, he had weeks at a time when he was in the Sixers where he was a really good player, and then he'd have weeks where he's terrible. He's always been, like, to me, an equivalent of, like, J.R. Smith up and down. No, J.R. Like, Smith is a lot better than Nick Young, though. Nick Young. Now, now he is. He's a lot better now. But I'm saying in terms of, like, uh, you never knew which kind of J.R. you'd get, and you never really knew which Nick Young you'd get. But he'd have games where he was really good. Yeah, but fill this, it up, man. this is more than like he's filling it up some games. Like this is like he's defending and he's giving the same sort of effort every night. So like, sure. what the hell? Like, where did this come from? I have no idea. I thought <laughs> from the, I thought in the first week that you know throughout the preseason you could kind of everyone was saying the right things, and I thought that Nick Young was in the starting lineup basically to you know boost his. Trade value, even though it's very earlier in the year and, and the trades are, are rare, but I thought it was more of a perception thing. And now he's producing, and I, I have I have no idea what to what to make of it. It could easily disappear overnight, so keep your eye out for that. But so far, he's looked <laughs> tremendous. So you're not you're not totally buying the Julius Randall thing. No, um, you know he's shooting. A ridiculous percentage in the restricted area and he's actually nine for 19 in the mid-range but that's gonna I, I i really think that that'll drop off and you know as a as a building block piece when you get to the playoffs and teams really are able to scheme uh scheme him out with helping off him when he doesn't have the ball and he can't space the floor so i i I don't really like him as kind of a long haul uh, building block as much as I like Russell, who I think is an extremely good player. Uh, even I like, I like Clarkson and Ingram hasn't really done anything yet, but he's a better prospect just because of his skill set and how it fits in the league. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just really skeptical about Randall. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, like, I, I was skeptical coming into the year just because I saw too many holes in his game. Like you said, he's not a great shooter. He's a little bit sort of predetermining his moves, and so it can be easy to scout him. But he's shown a lot of growth there in terms of his decision-making. He's really athletic, so he can grab and go. And I really like when Luke plays him and Larry Nance together. I think that's a really cool, interesting lineup. They found a way to make it work defensively. He's really quick. He can switch on to smaller players. Like Maybe like under a different coach, this wouldn't work. But, I mean, I think that Julius Randle has sort of had his career revived a lot with Luke Walton. I'm actually a little more optimistic than you. Like, maybe he's not going to score like this, but I think he can still be a really effective player. And, like, to me, this is a triumph of Luke Walton. I mean, these guys all are playing above their means. They're all playing free. They're playing 10 guys. He's giving everybody a chance. He has no preconceived notions. Uh, uh, to me, it's hard not to look at that guy and say, wow, that just switching the coach can sometimes make a huge difference. Well, yeah, all, all that's all that's fair. And, you know, his health and the, how he, he missed the, his rookie year with the broken leg. And he said that last year was kind of he had to kind of mentally get through it last year. And he was working out some issues with that leg. And now he feels really good. So that could be a, a factor with regards to just the freedom he's playing with and the confidence he has when he, he rips a defensive rebound off the backboard and just goes. Um but I, I, I don't know. I look in whenever I see a defender sag, you know, five, six feet off him and he, he hoists a mid-range jumper, it's just ugly. And, I, and in a couple of years when this team makes the playoffs, maybe he has a jump shot then and then we're talking about a very good player. But I, I'm, I just don't see it right now. Hmm. All right. Well, that's a little cart before the horsing, but um, and I just inventing invented another verb. We're inventing verbs here. Um, <laughs> you guys are doing I a good job tonight. I can't really hate him. Just hate on his game after that glorious meant play against the Suns, where he and Tyson Chandler. Did you see this? He was in a fight mm-hmm. with like Tyson Chandler. Uh, they wore words, and he like immediately calls to the ball, and immediately kind of yo-yos the dribble like he's going to go at him, like he's going to go one-on-one. He's going to try to show him up, show him up, and then he instead whips a cross-court pass to Clarkson for a three. And it's just like the ultimate team play, and he was smiling. I love that moment. I mean, there's so much fun to watch. I mean, Ben, I, you have to be trying to catch their games. Yeah, yeah, I have been. I mean, that's uh, there's a lot of good basketball being played on the West Coast, which – a lot of offensive basketball as well, which I wanted to get into um, because I know we need to shift topic to individual players. We just hit a few teams who have been particularly impressive thus far. But there have been some uh, exemplary efforts on the offensive end of the basketball court this season. Tons of wild statistics, crazy stat lines, um, some historical seasons actually currently going on. And last night I got the privilege of watching James Harden just dissect the Sixers um, for three quarters. I mean, he, he barely had to play. And, and when he was, he was unbelievably efficient in scoring and assisting like he's been all season. Um, he's you'd been incredibly privilege. impressive. You'd say privilege yeah. even if it was against yeah. your team? Yeah, I mean, because look, I'm going to watch him. I watch the Sixers whenever they're on. And I, I tend to, I do like to actually watch the Rockets this season. They're fun to watch. They play. I've, we don't have to get into it. Um, this, uh, stylistically, they do play a very fun pace. Not when you have four uh, seven-footers like the you know, Sixers are trotting out there and a bunch of Europeans. <laughs> it was such a mismatch, guys. It was terrible. Um, it was a, it was a really bad game. But uh, Harden's been amazing. You got Lillard out west. Uh, you've got Anthony Davis, Westbrook, DeRozan, uh, DeRozan Durant. These guys all having uh, Steph Curry. I believe Prado, you were telling me before the if this is correct that his true shooting percentage is better. This year than last year? Yeah. So they're, they're what, so five, of, five guys now averaging over 30 a game? Six guys? Yeah. Well over two, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think – when was – how many – did anyone average over 30 a game last year? I feel like this is totally unprecedented in the last few years because we were always talking about how everything was becoming more balanced scoring-wise and, you know, more – fewer. there were actually fewer and fewer 20-point scores. And this year has totally shattered that so far. Oh, so many. I mean, DeRozan's at 34 still, Westbrook 32, Lillard 30, Davis 30, Harden 30. I mean, you can go down the list. P- part of what's made Harden so amazing, though, is he's he is a good passer. The ball's in his hands the entire game. I mean, it's the exact way he wants to play, and it's a perfect system built around him for him. And the, the supporting cast isn't isn't great, but he makes them much better. Um so who who has been your favorite uh, offensive? Who do you think has been the best offensive player? Prado, you can take this one first, man. The best offensive player thus far this season in terms of uh, 
what you like out of a, an offensive threat. Uh, I think Harden has been so much fun to watch. I think that would be my choice. Uh, I know he's mm-hmm. not averaging the most points per game, uh, but yeah, they, it's like almost like this system is like a lubricant for his game. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like it's like rolling on. It's like walk running on a moving walkway going forward. Mm-hmm. That's like sort of what you think about because there's just so much space and they they throw so much weak side motion so that you can't you can't get in the way and you cannot there is no pick and roll coverage that works on it because if you switch he can get by the big guy if you trap he can he delivers the pass just at the perfect moment he has this like knack for delivering it like a split second before the help defender gets there and then you combine that with the fact that the help defender has to go from so far away to help and you can't just play him normally because he'll get over that screen he has such great craft you can't really force your way over and then he's got a two-on-one with the big guy with all this space I mean it's just they don't play any defense but my god they are so much fun to watch offensively and it's so refreshing I think part of the reason that the narrative is flipped on Harden is sort of not really his by his doing because the team last year in years past was sort of took this three-point shooting thing as more of like a a science than an art. They didn't really have much of a system. They were just kind of jacking these threes. I feel like just because it was like, hey, this is a good good shot analytically. And they would get killed in transition defense and blah, 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 blah. And it didn't feel like – it sort of – and the same thing with the free throws. They were just kind of like hurl themselves to the rim. And it felt like kind of more like an experiment than an actual basketball team. And now – even though they kind of have the same ends, the means feel like more like this is what a basketball team is supposed to look like. This is at least offensively, obviously defensively, sure. not so much. It, it feels like they're actually running a system that puts pressure on you. It's like you can actually have an intellectual conversation about what they're, what, why the threes are creating are the right kinds of threes, and you know all of this. It, I think it's it's just I mean, it's fun to watch and put up these video game numbers. I think he has. Four, five, 30, 15 games this year, and I don't think anyone's ever had more than six in a season. Something like Something that. Like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just absurd. And I have some good stats, uh, courtesy of Alex Rubenstein. Keep going, bud. I'll, I'll pick him up. Yeah, our guy Alex uh, <laughs> uh, is helping on the video team. Yeah, I mean, it's just. I mean, you may as well like spell them out. I mean, it really is amazing to watch that team play, and it does give you a great. I think it's allowed us to have a better appreciation for – I think you said this on the Rockets podcast in the preseason, just mm-hmm. how uh, good his craft is, how yeah. you know yeah. basketball had his first step and his triple threat and his ability to sort of go shift from side to side. He's not like the most overly quick person, but he's just so crafty and he's so strong and so it's like he has no wasted motions. And we see now how good a passer he can be and – all these things, like you could tell them in the old rocket system, but it was it was almost hard to squint through, like the lab experiment. You know, maybe that's an unfair read of the previous rockets. I don't know if Pina agrees with how I, I'm reading that, but that, that's why I'm t- transfixed by what he's doing. No, I, I agree with everything you just said, and uh, I really, you know, over the summer when a lot of people laughed at the Rockets for the contracts they gave out to Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon. And it was kind of like, I mean, wait a minute, this Harden has put up ridiculous numbers in a fast pace of tempo system uh, that launches threes, but never had three point shooters. And now you're giving him two tremendous three point shooters and Ariza is still around and he's knocking down threes. Patrick Beverly hasn't even really been, um, utilized because of injury, but he's a good spot-up three-point shooter. So I, I, I just don't know how you stop this team. And you talked a little bit about uh, in the when they, you know, you can't switch pick and rolls. What I've wondered is why why don't more teams put wings on uh, on bigs on Capella or Ryan Anderson and switch? And I know you said switching hurts because you know. Harden can can cook the big, but those guys don't really. I don't, I don't know how those guys can punish. Uh, you know, not every team has the personnel to do this, but if you put a wing on the big and switch, I, I think you might be able to at least stifle a little bit um, his production. What do you What do you think? Oh, it's tough, right? So 
the Lakers did a little bit of that in the opener, and I thought they had some success, but they also didn't have to kind of jigger their matchups too much to do it. I think one of the problems you run into is that it's not just that you're switching that matchup. You sort of now have to switch other matchups. So, I mean, you wouldn't have your point guard switch on the Capella. You might be able to get away if it's like two like-sized players, mm-hmm. but... If you, unless you totally change your lineup, right? So that means that you have to switch another matchup, and that that could be confusing, and that could be tough to because it's sort of a five man game where you have to play with the Rockets because it's not just that one play you have to worry about; it's the the spot of shooters as well. So I think that's one reason. Uh, personnel is another one. I think also it's sort of hard to do. Like it's sort of easy for us to sit here and say, "Yeah, that makes sense. You could switch them," but it's like they have to have a totally different sense of help responsibility. Uh, and as we see with Harden a lot, you sort of miss you're maybe a half a second late or even a quarter of a second late, and that's sort of all that you can do. Like he can catch you mid pass, or he can catch you with a pass mid rotation. And when you're trying to do the right thing, and it's just not so easy, I think, all the time to he, be able to pull inc- it off. He's incredible at no look passes too, which is makes it even harder to kind of anticipate where he's coming when you throw a double at him, which is what the Sixers were doing last night. Um, but it can't throw a double at him, obviously. It was just terrible um, strategy. But the, you know, I found the stat real quick. Uh, pray to uh, this is courtesy of Alex Rubenstein, a explanation, a statistician. Um, he said Harden had this is through not last night's game, so before last night's game, Harden had 104 assists through eight games. In the last 20 years, that mark uh, was reached only once, Rondo, in the fall of 2010. Uh, so basically, this could have been one of the best non-Stockton passing seasons ever that he started off on. Also, he's gotten uh, effective field goal percentage of uh, 582. No one has scored as many points per game with as high of a effective field goal percentage um, it, it, ever. And Curry's wasn't even close last year. Um, so it could effectively be, in his estimation here, it's it's one of the best scoring and passing seasons and therefore greatest offensive starts to any season of it's all absurd. time. It's uh, absurd. One last point on the switching. Uh, <laughs> just one of the things, too, is that you have to think about the mechanism by which they switch the pick and roll. So if you just mm. think about how that play is run, like you're – you're going to have to somebody's going to have to duck underneath to sort of pick up the roll man because if they don't do that what's going to happen is while they're sort of in mid switch the roll guy will slip and harden kind of slip that pass over the top but if you duck under too far he'll just kind of take a step back and shoot a three so you sort of also have to think about the mechanism by which the switch is happening and that's sort of right. where they can catch you you know they for any decision that you make they can really exploit so easily and so I, you know that to me is like another sort of dilemma you have to kind of figure out is that you know and they can angle the screen so they can make it difficult and that's what makes him so hard to stop is that he can shoot the three he can shoot the mid-range shot although it's not obviously what he wants to do he can attack off the dribble he can sort of draw in two and kick like there's not anything he can't do and that's sort of why I would say it's a little different than like what Russell Westbrook is doing because Russell Westbrook even still can do so many different things but you it's sort of a win if you force him to shoot a jumper Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily I mean maybe it's the best of a bad solution if you just are let him shoot a jumper and you kind of get caught mid switch but I don't think that's a great solution either for Harden like it's it's not something you want to give up as easily to him as you would maybe for Westbrook Okay, so so Harden's been incredibly impressive. We kind of glossed over a few other players. Pina, is there anybody else in particular who who you kind of have been uh, league pass on demand, if you will, has to be the guy you watched that night if he's on? Uh, there's so many guys this year, as we talked about <laughs> earlier, but uh, I love the season or the start that DeMar DeRozan is having. Uh, he it, it kind of feels like he's he's Steph Curry inside the arc. In that he is just doing the unthinkable. He's hitting these ridiculous contested shots, making them look easy. Uh, it, everyone says that you know it's unsustainable, and yet here we are, eleven games in, and he's continuing to knock down over half of closely contested long twos and leading the league and scoring thirty-four points a game. It's just it's remarkable, and he's faced just about every defensive coverage there is, and. The Raptors have the fourth best offense in the league, primarily because of him. Kyle Lowry has kind of been slumping. Uh, everyone else on the team really can't buy a three. 
and this guy's carrying the team. And, you know, coming off of last year's playoffs when he really struggled against Paul George and then he kind of struggled in the Miami Heat series, it's really cool to see him, uh, you know, he clearly put in the work this summer and he's improved every offseason. And it's just cool to see. And he's only 27 years old, which you kind of forget when you, he, it just feels like, it, it, a million years ago when we yeah. criticized the uh, his rookie extension contract that was given out by um, your boy Colangelo. And <laughs> Thank you. Ben's Thank boy you. Colangelo. <laughs> Thank you. Yep, he is now. Go ahead. And <laughs> it, it, it's incredible. It's just it's the, the improvement this guy's made. And if he wins a scoring title and, and kind of, I don't know, I, he's not going to keep what he's doing up all year. Uh, but if he wins a scoring title and, and, you know, Toronto has a little bit more of an offensive punch in the playoffs, I think we need to recalibrate just, just how good DeRozan is. The ripe old but, age of 27. Yeah. I remember when one, I was 27. Yeah, that was like <laughs> two years ago. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> he's, um, he was only one year at USC, so, you know, and, and he was young for the for the grade, right, I believe, so. Kind of had a, a young star. I remember Drew Holiday and DeRozan were both the highly touted L.A. high schoolers at the same time. And they went to the rival colleges at the same time. And now they're both, obviously. I think uh, Drew's coming back Friday, I believe, in, in a feel-good story. Things are, things are going well. That's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is. Very now, good. Pelicans need him, too. Yeah, <laughs> for the record, we're recording this before the uh, Cleveland game yeah. that he's yeah. actually currently going on. Um, yeah, yeah, first or second, so, second quarter. Yes. But as of then, he has yeah. shot more shots <laughs> from 10 to 14 feet than four entire NBA teams. Wow. That is courtesy of our guy, Tim Cato, who wrote about this today. He is he is basically taking over an area of the court that nobody uses. He's shot more 15 to 19-footers than two entire NBA teams. He's made more 15 to 19-footers than nine entire NBA teams. Holy cow. I mean, that is, that is ridiculous. Uh, is this fun? Like, some He's only part- played nine games. Yeah. I mean that's that's pretty incredible. Some teams have played like eleven. That's yeah, crazy. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean that's amazing. I mean the yeah. the thing that like I wonder about is sort of a meta conversation. Is like it's so we as analysts we kind of have to say that you know what like nobody ever shoots sixty percent on those shots. Like nobody in NBA history has. He's not going to keep doing this. Like it's just a hot streak. But at the same time, it's sort of like a killjoy to say that, isn't it? Yeah, it's fun. Like this is fun. <laughs> it's fun to think about. Like, well, what if this is possible? And I don't know about you, but it's actually kind of nice to think. I think it makes the an- analysis a little more interesting to say, like, that it's not these shots aren't all bad for everybody. Even though, like, there's such a math skew towards against them when you think about sort of the league average, and you think about just in theory, like, why they're probably less open because you're more yeah. you're closer together to people and. There's such a math problem that he has to overcome in order to kind of make it as an efficient scorer. Like, but yeah. it's kind of nice that there's actually a player that you can say is sort of owning this area. And like, we'll see if it keeps up. But it's like kind of, I think it makes the game a little more interesting to analyze. Well, he also he has um, I don't know, like a, a more, much more athletic, younger like Paul Pierce game where he knows the spots he wants to get to, and he kind of has moves to get there. He just does it more athletically. Um, Pierce was always like two, three moves ahead of guys in terms of where his footwork would be, how he uses dribble, because without being as athletic as a guy like DeRozan. But I think, you know, the other thing that he has going for him, too, is, is the comp- the confidence shift because of the way Lowry has played so far this season, or at least his shot so far this season. He understands that, like, he um, is reliant on right now to get. 30 plus points for them to be successful. And that's a, a different shift. I think it was Lowry's team last year and now it's DeRozan's. Well, one thing that's great about Lowry and that you really appreciate great about player. him is that not only is he a great player, but I think he's also someone who's always respected DeRozan. So it's not like this is a no doubt. a threat. No doubt. He's going to go out of his way mm-hmm. to make this work uh, with him, even though Kyle is in a free agent year. I mean, that's the one thing that I think is underrated about that pairing. You see so many guard-guard pairings, and I know of one – near and dear to my heart that it's totally <laughs> different the relationship the vibe between the two for and, sure you know that i think is a huge thing um but yeah the pierce comparison is a good one i mean i mean pina you watched pierce a long time i mean that that i didn't really think of it that way 
And then when you also toss in like the pump faking and the file drawing and all that, mm-hmm, for sure. and just the reverse pivoting, like, but that's actually a really interesting comparison. Same, they're from the same area. I mean, they, they, I'm telling you, man, they were both uh, hacks players when I was there in, in Los Angeles. Um, and Pierce was the first player, first NBA guy who signed on there, and the wave of other guys who came and played, um, it was great. But uh, he, um, they did the same thing. I think, I think part of it is um, when you watch a guy like Pierce kind of set that that that. Preston, if you will, being there at 5 a.m. with his like rubber suit on, just doing the same like one dribble moves for an hour, then the same two dribbles, no dribbles, etc. Having a, a move for every situation. Uh, there was definitely a lot of guys who took after that, and, and, and you know Westbrook was another one of the players who was there, and Harden was as well. So you see, uh, there's a craft to be honed, and, and Pierce is definitely a good. Uh, you know, did you see him work out together? Oh, dude, I, I saw full full court five on five. 10 NBA players from, you know, we're talking, uh, this was seven, eight years ago. Right. Uh, the Hangar Athletic did, Exchange. Did, like, Pierce and DeRozan mm-hmm. work out together a lot? Uh, not, no, not specifically those two together. Same, you know, they might be on a different court or something, like a different okay. hoop. Um, but uh, you would see, you would definitely see a bunch of guys, like, check each other, like uh, Nick Young and... Um, who was phenomenal, by the way, to watch play pickup basketball. There's not a better player in the world. He was amazing. He, he <laughs> killed everyone. He, do, he really was the best player on the court. Um, but you would see guys like, like Nick Young and Drew Holiday would, uh, they'd like, you know, play off each other sometimes. Actually, the guy who played with Pierce a lot, one of his best friends he grew up with, um, and, and a very good player, played professionally in like Turkey and whatnot. They were the ones who would drill together. But hmm. um, okay. anyhow. I'll we'll have to have a uh, podcast where you just tell stories. I got some. I watched some incredible basketball from five feet away. Watched the the work that gets put in in, in the summertime. So uh, another another time for that. But um, I feel like real quick we should mention as we talk about great offensive players. Um, and we did mention Drew is coming back. Either one of you take this one. But what should we make of Anthony Davis's greatness in the face of the Pelicans' uh, awfulness? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's it's sad. Uh, just the lack of help that he has right now and obviously drew holiday will 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 he's coming back and that's a wonderful story and he will make life easier um kind of recalibrate the the rotation a little bit and get people more in the roles that they're they're meant to play and meant to fill um but the work just uh, what just I watched last night's game against the Celtics and <laughs> the work that he has to go through you know the Celtics are uh bad defensive team in the numbers but they still have guys on their on their squad like marcus martin avery bradley who are just pests who 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 can dig uh and get and recover back to their man and and the pelicans don't have any real outside shooting threats to begin with so they were just just hounding davis all night and just the amount of work and stress that he goes through on almost every single possession and and he still gets it done it is it is remarkable yeah, can, we, can we talk real briefly about Marcus Smart's uh, terrible flop that avoided <laughs> the total embarrassment of being, you know, Vince Carter? Or oh, what Weiss? are you talking about? Great play. Oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> uh, did you see I mean, he was like dancing afterwards? He was like taunting uh, Solomon Hill for drawing the charge. No, he Marcus Smart is such him. a legend. Yeah, <laughs> I actually like I, I usually like can't stand this, but I actually admired his uh, perseverance there and his defiance. He's turned like what should have been like one of the most embarrassing moments of his entire career into a positive. <laughs> uh, and a ref decided that everyone on sitting on the benches who, uh, you know, his peers, if you will, knows he got dunked on viciously last night. Um, the ref is the like the well actually dude that. on Twitter. <laughs> basically. That's basically what the ref was. Uh with the Pelicans, like, yeah, it, I wonder if there's a – I think there's a connection that can be made from how often he gets nicked up to how hard it is for him to score because yeah. there is just no space for him to do anything. And I think the Pelicans at least, even though they're bad, at least they're pretty good defensively this year. Like, they've made – like, Solomon Hill has been a disaster on offense, but he really competes on the other end. Langston Galloway competes. Uh, they have a good defense – you know, Omar Ashik is actually doing some stuff defensively this year, but man, offensively they're just there's no space for them to do anything. And I don't know if the holidays enough is gonna be able to bring them back there. And it's there's really not much more to say other than it's sad and that I just hope that the load he carries does not reflect in more injuries. I mean, that would be yeah. the real tragedy, I think. Well Drew Drew can get his own bucket. He's he could get twenty a game easily. He's gonna have to. Um 
for them. He's going to have to take a lot of shots and bear some of that brunt of the offensive responsibility. Um, you're absolutely right. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. He's in a difficult spot, and he bears the weight of the city and really the franchise at this point. Um, it's, a, it's a big situation that's going to play out over the course of this year, but they're off to a – was it 2-7 and seven now after the win last night? Yeah, I think they, like they're worse than that, like 2-9. 2-9, two and two yeah. Nine, two and nine, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one last guy I want to say was – I want to bring him up because I want to segue this into a little bit of – uh, well, we'll get Mike's opinion, Pina's opinion, opinion that is on the uh, Celtics, but is DeMarcus Cousins, who I've gotten to watch a few times, I have a few friends who are big Kings fans, so I owed it to them to watch. Uh, shout out to Kenny, guy I worked with at Hacks actually also, um, and uh, huge Kings fan. And DeMarcus Cousins is such an interesting player to watch um, because I like to just watch him mentally. I like to watch right, you know, his eye expressions, uh, the trash talk, all these things that the, aren't even the basketball component. But then he'll have you know a two for two, three points uh, from three point land start with a then incredible move from the block, a block shot, a steal, a dive into the stands. It's like a minute and a half into the game, um, and you realize how good, how dominant he can be. He's also massive. So what should I make of Demarcus Cousins, the King situation? Uh, where you see him maybe transitioning uh, throughout the course of this season, if at all. And then, uh, Pina, talk us, let's talk about the Celtics. Should we hit the panic button at all after a slow start, or should we just be okay about the uh, the injuries? Sure. So I guess first on Boogie, Yeah. Um, you know, it, we just talked about Anthony Davis and how it's a really sad situation because, you know, the players <laughs> around him don't really compliment his skill set at all or make life easier for him. And this is kind of the situation that DeMarcus Cousins has dealt with his entire career, more or less, or at least just the dysfunction of playing with different point guards, playing under different head coaches, different systems. And he is tremendous. And, um, you know, it's getting to the point where I'm kind of tired of of watching him play on the Kings and just watching (laughs) him. You know, the body language is terrible. He clearly is unhappy. Uh, and I would, I would love just to see him leave this year. I want this to be the last year of Boogie in Sacramento. Hmm. And where would he? And where would he go, Mike Prada? You you like a good you like a good trade rumor. I know you've a started real one, a real one, <laughs> which I do not have. No, uh, oh, yeah. Although there was a report out there, uh, I forget. I think it was Sporting News saying that a lot of people are thinking that they're actually going to do it this time. I mean, it's the same old, same old with them. I mean, nothing has changed mm-hmm. with that franchise. Nothing has changed with that situation. You know, you can trade, switch over some of the players. You can switch over the coach, and it doesn't change. And they're they're still a bad defensive team. They're still don't really have anyone else who can do anything offensively. Uh, they still are burying their young guys. They still have this strange roster uh, that doesn't make any sense. You know, Rudy Gay is playing really well. Hooray. That won't last. Um, I'm sorry. You know, (laughs) it's the same. It's really the same old stuff there. And it's just a matter of like, at what point do they realize that it's just, you can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. And I don't know if they, I think that they may have missed a window to get as much as possible out of him. I think if they had traded him, because now he has only, what, one year year left on his contract. So anyone who's taking him on has got to think, first of all, they have to answer, like, sort of, is this the guy we want to bring in midseason into our locker room, which is a huge change. I'm sure some people would do it, but I'm also sure that there are a lot of coaches that would rather not have to deal with that. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a management coaching split, like, but if you had gotten him maybe over the summer, maybe you could inter- integrate him a little easier, you know, all that. So I think midseason, a lot of teams are going to be a little worried. And then if they try to trade him next summer, he's only got a year left in his deal. You know, maybe in this CBA, it will be easier to sign guys to extensions before their contract is up. But until then, that's sort of a big looming target over him. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's the same old, same old. I'm. I guess the question will be is if is there someone out there that would be desperate enough in the right state to kind of roll the dice midseason? Uh, and will the Kings finally get to the point where they realize that there is just no way to turn the ship around? You think it's already over? The, the season's not over, though. We did pick their under when we did their overall season They're thing. They're what, for four a- and seven now. They yeah. have a hard schedule coming up. They haven't exactly like beaten the lids off of you know good teams. It's not like they, they've lost – some games that they lost at Orlando, they lost at home to the Lakers. I mean, these are games that if they want to make the playoffs, they've got to win these games. Agreed. They got, you know, they did beat Toronto on the road, but I believe they got drilled in Milwaukee, right? 
not familiar if they did or did they not. did they they got destroyed in milwaukee okay. <laughs> i mean these are games that like if you want to go anywhere i know milwaukee's been like kind of frisky but like you've got to win those so to me like i'm already like comfortable saying that like it's going to be right. the same old same old there i mean it's just it's just a matter of whether they finally are going to take the pill and swallow at this yeah. point yeah well lastly i'll say uh i'll say westbrook has been um pretty much exactly what we anticipated and the thunder are rounding into pretty much where we anticipated um four straight Lillard losses has, though yeah no but a, a few straight and they, they just lost to the pistons right without the drummond not play drummond did, drummond not, play. did oh, not play although yeah. i have this theory that i i don't know if i th- kind of feel like the the pistons are cool with he's not there. like they can survive just fine without him i feel hmm. like his lack of development is a little bit scary to me um to be honest, but that's just like my own for another for another podcast. That's another show. Uh, okay. Tobias Harris killing it for Orla- for the yeah. Tour. He's been really he's good. been great. I wonder what, wonder if Orlando could use someone like that. <laughs> no, no. Come on. Again, another podcast. Orlando. We'll have the uh, Mike Prada predicted Orlando would make the playoffs podcast later on in the season. Um. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, Mike. He did right. he did he did it's okay I'm, i'll be wrong about a few of, of these i think but oh by the way in the pick'em that we entered prada we're doing really well um we're in first place so far that really that clipper clippers over best bet was uh is doing real well so far oh all right fantastic yeah. let's let's ignore yeah. the uh orlando over in the atlanta <laughs> under <laughs> that was just words that doesn't matter um we didn't write that anywhere but uh cool and then uh lillard's been awesome as well he's another guy who like I watch and offensively, I'm just wowed at how good he is. Um, and, and then the entire Golden State operation. Pino, do, you, but, um, do you think Portland yeah. was any good, though? Like, that's the question. I, I'm still not sure. Pino, what do you think? Uh, to be honest, I haven't seen them play too much. I, I've been impressed with Lillard. Um, I don't know. I can't speak. I, I, I think their defense is a question mark. Um, Evan Turner but, ain't exactly fitting in over there. Yeah, no, awesome. I, yeah, I was, I was. That was my equivalent to picking the Orlando Magic to make the playoffs. <laughs> I thought that Evan Turner would kind of seamlessly glide in and, and be the third ball handler or backup point guard that would allow uh, Lillard and McCollum to play a little bit more off the ball. And mm-hmm. yeah, not so much. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. I I, I, I don't really four. have an opinion on on uh, the Trailblazers just yet. Yeah, they're seven and four, and and McCollum, who we didn't you know mention yet, he's been off to a really good start as well. I think just with those two alone, I think they are a, a good team. It's a really formidable uh, backcourt. I mean, Lillard is tr- unbelievable. I mean, yeah, yeah, he, he's he, un- like he's, Harden. He's there's, al- there's almost like no way to guard him anymore. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other yeah. guy, one last person, I think we do need to mention because I I am guilty of forgetting about him. And we haven't talked at all about the Cavs, and they're running away <laughs> from the East, and LeBron is finally taking that back seat, and Kyrie Irving is lighting it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, that team is really locked in. I'm super impressed. And if we're going to talk about how great Lillard has been, I think it's only fair to also mention yeah. that Kyrie is doing a lot of the same stuff, and he's he's allowed LeBron. Him and Love, Love has looked great, too. Like LeBron is mm-hmm. kind of playing at 75% capacity in a lot of yeah. these games, and it's well, enough. It's- it's that interesting confidence. You saw the same thing happen with Miami when they won their first title and they came back with uh, you know, a similar swagger in, in the regular season that year. If you guys remember, they they were in like 28 games in a row? 27 in a row, seven? yeah. 27 in a row, yeah. So, I mean, uh, they, there's a confidence boost to knowing that like you climbed a mountain such as whatever, you know, whatever 3-1 NBA Finals, Golden State. Um, so I think that kind of sitting on Kevin Love's that monkey off your back. Same thing with Kyrie, but with Kyrie, we've talked about this before, and this is where the little equivalency, uh, I like the uh, analogy here. He can get any shot he wants. He can go to the basket. He's better than Lillard at going to the hoop. He's got more English and layups, his best layup, whatever, maker in the NBA. Um, I think they're different. I think Lillard is a a more powerful finisher. For sure, for sure. Maybe Kyrie is a more finesse finisher, but they are Uh, equally good. Couldn't agree more. I, I couldn't agree more. And then, and then they're both great shooters. I mean, Kyrie's. I think he won the NBA three point competition about a couple of years ago, I believe. So there's this idea that he he's one of the best open shooters in the league, and he can also take you off the dribble. We've talked about him before. Who who did we match him up with a few podcasts ago? And I took Kyrie. And was it Lillard was, again? It was Lillard. Yeah. Yeah. We keep doing this. All I right, still. Cool. We'll see I think it's a tough one. <laughs> it's still like, close. Yeah. I still think until I see Kyrie, like kind of have the luxury not have the luxury of lebron it's sort of hard to judge exactly where he is in the hierarchy Mm -hmm. because he's a nice safety blanket 
Agreed. Um, so whereas Lillard, I mean, look, the system's kind of built around him, but that team, I look at that team and they paid a lot of money for a bunch of, you know, guys who are kind of B players, honestly. And, yeah. And yeah. Lillard is sort of the one guy that sort of makes makes that team good. Like the rest of that team, I, I think it, it kind of fits with their system, but I'm not sure. Even McCollum. I'm not sure any of those guys on their away from Lillard would be nearly as good. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe maybe Pena disagrees, but to me, like that's why I still would take Lillard if I had to win a game right now. But it, I mean, look, I would test that team. theory. Would you, so you would McCollum take Kyrie? On. No, I'd take McCollum on the Sixers. We could see if he can play it all <laughs> <laughs> in a heartbeat. I don't know, Pena. Um, any uh, any last thoughts here on the early season? Uh, anything you're working on uh, that we you know we can check out here? Please, by all means. Uh, Tell us what you're what you're doing, bud. You know, I actually have something uh, going up tomorrow that I wrote today about uh, Drummond and oh, cool. that lack of development. That exact huh. that exact uh, narrative. Um, more on just it's kind of zooming out big picture on you know what is Detroit's path to a title if Drummond is. Uh, your best player, your foundational piece, and also not going to be one of the five best players at his position through the life of his contract. So mm-hmm. I thought that that I think that that's just an interesting thing to think about if you're a Pistons fan. Maybe not interesting, more sad, but <laughs> well, don't give don't give away the entire uh, the entire thesis here. Um, did uh, so? Where where can we find that? By the way, uh, that's going to be published on Vice, um, cool. and I will be tweeting it out. From at Michael V. Pina. Lovely. Ooh, nice little Very well done. right there. Very, that's what we like. No, that's it's not his first time on the uh, on the podcast. That's not his first. Yeah, now we don't have to like say that after the fact. <laughs> that's just true. let it sit for you. That's right. That's right. Um Prada, Mike Prada. Um we got some new writers at SB Nation. You want, you want to talk about them real quick? Yeah, we can check yeah. Them. We just yeah. brought in um Tim Cato, who you all know, and uh, Christian Winfield. He covers the Knicks or, or covered the Knicks and now he works with us. We'll have to. You'll you'll hear more from them, I think, on future shows. Yep, yep. And we've had Tim on a couple of times. You guys might remember him from the uh, Dallas Mavericks uh, various podcasts where we talked about the Mavs. Um, cool, great to have new blood in the uh, in the SB Nation family. Um, also, always great to have Mike Pina on. Mike, congratulations on the East Coast move, bud. It's good to have you back here. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Of course, of course, and we'll we'll talk to you throughout the course of the season. I'm sure we'll have some podcast a month from now, uh, two months from now, when we'll talk about the Celtics on their you know 12 out of 13 game win streak, and uh, and Horford's totally fine and not concussed and not taking press conferences uh, with the inability to see who is asking the yeah, question. That was bizarre. Why was he taking <laughs> press conferences if he's still in the protocol? That was super weird. It it was weird, and uh, he just looked. As I told you guys before we started recording, he just looked out of it. And, you know, he wasn't even able to answer any questions with concrete answers to today's practice. So um, he'll be on the court eventually, though. Long season. Wow. Anyhow, we'll talk about the NBA's concussion protocol uh, another time as well. A lot of future podcast uh, topics came up today. But um, great to have you on again, Pina. Mike Prada, as always. Good work, bud. Talk to you soon. This is the Limited Upside Podcast.